Yeah. No, I mean, so for me, just to step back a little bit, something you were saying earlier, like for me, it's more about being able to like lay out the five sentence version of what we would do and why it would be much better than this world. So it's not like an extensive blueprint of that. And I've been doing a lot more research on like all these different answers to the question of how it would work. Uh, and, And it's interesting. I think there's a bunch of different ways to do it. But in any case, what I mean by saying that like abundance is a social relationship is that what, what, when you read like people like Thomas More and kind of earlier thinkers and like the history of the beautiful idea of communism, you'll just see that like what they mean by abundance is not what it came to mean in like basically like 19th century economics, which starts to redefine the meaning of scarcity. Like in the 19th century, scarcity means like a defined period of lack of access to basic goods. You know, there's a period of scarcity and abundance would mean never having a period like that, never having a period of scarcity. So like for me, abundance means organizing society in a way that like we have this core of work that we organize in a planned way that meets everyone's needs, like without question, kind of in the UBI mode, but not by money, right? By actually organizing cooperatively the work that has to be done. And on that basis, that functions as a kind of post-scarcity machine or abundance machine that produces the experience of abundance outside of that sector. So essentially it like creates a world where you just don't worry, like no one can ever go hungry again. No one can like find out that because they're not willing to do something, they're the fundamental material conditions of their life are going to be taken away from them. And that feeling of abundance, first of all, it would transform what, like how the work relationship exists in the realm of remaining necessary work, because it would mean that like, because people can't have, they can't be threatened with material dispossession and material um, insecurity and scarcity, um, they have to like want to do that work. They have to be invited in. There have to be non-material incentives, in other words, that convince people to do their fair share of the work that has to be done. But it also means that outside of that, like we would actually live in the world that we want to live in, like a world where people face their lives. It's like, I have a certain amount of time on this earth. Like, yes, we're not talking about overcoming mortality, right? We're talking about a world where people still have a certain amount of time on the earth. But instead of thinking like, you know, shit, how am I going to like survive? How am I going to make myself useful in a way that like is going to run my life? You look at your life as like a series of, you know, adventures and like open possibilities to do things and reinvent yourself. That's what the technologies that we have right now should make possible. It doesn't mean that you can do those things. If everyone does that and no one does the work that has to be done, then like you're going to live in a really shitty society, right? Um, and, And I've been very influenced by, you know, feminist Marxist theories about what happens, right? Like what happens to those kind of reproductive labors when people aren't willing to do them? Well, they fall on certain groups of people, right? Um, Who've been historically disadvantaged. But what that means is that we need to like come together and consciously figure out how to organize that necessary work so that we can all actually be free and live free of the kinds of insecurity that come from being materially dispossessed. So I hope that makes sense. It's It's not a depiction of a world 
of an endless material cornucopia. But I think that's a very false and misleading understanding of what abundance like really means. I yeah. Guess. I mean, luxury could just be having a lot of free time where you can do whatever you want. Because I think everyone listening probably understands what a luxury that is under capitalism, right? And how amazing it would be if we just had, you know, we had our fucking lives back. We could do whatever we want, go where we want, um, study whatever we want without having to worry about making money off of it. Um, I also like how... Thinking about it just now, actually, the automation theorists kind of techno determinist future is very much a capitalist vision because the technology really takes precedence over the actions of humans uh -huh. right whereas uh -huh. um you kind of flip it on its head and say okay i'm not a luddite but technology should be serving us here right not the other way around so you know maybe in the future uh there are some tasks that people like to do like, maybe we don't need um, robots to do all of the gardening. Maybe some people want to do that. Or maybe they want to do it with a little robot help. Like, we can, we can parcel out the work and automate things based on what people actually want and what people actually need, rather than based on this, like, objective march of science, if that makes sense. Well, this is what yeah. uh, makes Marx's um, theory of commodity fetishism not just some sort of metaphysical flourish that he throws out in Capital. It's central to like what our, our fight is against, you know, not just the law of value, but also the economy dominating us, you know, things seeming, technology seeming as, seeming as though they act upon us and our own creative powers and our potential to cooperate and uh, live free and happy and productive lives is, are taken from us. And so the obverse of that, the flip side of that, of course, is an association of free producers living in a post-scarcity society where these things are shared and uh, where we don't have to toil for somebody else or for the quote-unquote economy anymore. For the man. For the man, man. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that that's right. It's like, I think, I mean, I guess that the thing that the big... The big like aha moment for me was reading, I mean, a bunch of different things, but reading Marx as part of a longer tradition of people who said that there isn't just like one principle that 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 sort of like defines life in the post-capitalist world. It's like, yes, there is a positive value to work. Like work isn't only drudgery. And even when work is drudgery, when it's shared, when we're like, when we, when we feel like there's not a loss of dignity in the work, when we're doing it with other people, when we have autonomy over our work conditions, when we have, um, when we're using skills that we've mastered, like we actually feel like, you know, we're, we're doing skilled work, we're putting our skills to use. And when we feel like the work we're doing has an actual purpose that serves our community, that we're doing something nice for people, like even, you know, even work that isn't our own creative, self-determining mm -hmm. kind of uh, thing, it's still like, it's still, you get something out of it, you know, like there's yeah, a place yeah. for that kind of work. And it doesn't mean we shouldn't automate stuff away if we feel like that. But you know, even in a world where we can't automate it away, it doesn't mean that there isn't something really fulfilling from doing that kind of reproductive labor. 
Um, if it's shared out, like saying it's great isn't a reason to say, hey, it's so great, you should do it, and I'm going to go do something else, right? It's like the fact that we we say together, like we're all going to organize and plan how we do this so that everyone can be free and everyone has access to free time. But then in that world of free time, like we're not we're not thinking about free time merely as like, oh, work is so hard and we're just going to go home and like laze around. But that is what a lot of people want to do and people will want to just like hang out and that's totally worthwhile. Um, but it's also like the world of freedom is the world of like where you're not so where you're not constrained to try to meet society's needs together, but you're really free to like do all different kinds of things. And I think that one of the limits for how Marxists or other people often talk about freedom is they think of it really as like an individual realm of people sort of like either relaxing or just working on themselves. And the person who really may had a big influence on me here was Kropotkin. He has a great chapter in The Conquest of Bread called The Need for Luxury. Like there's a human need. One of the needs that we have is for luxury. And he basically says like what people will do, because he has this exact sort of vision of like reduction in the work time, reorganization of work so that it's like collectively undertaken and has all these positive properties. But then also in their free time, people form all kinds of associations. And there's like all of this kind of voluntary ways that people get together to form amateur scientific societies like Kropotkin himself was a part of, you know, or societies for making music. It's like a world of connection. It's not just a world where you like retreat and become just a pure individual, though you can also do that, right? It's like it makes for a kind of a real possibility for individuality that's not possible in capitalism.